you know, usually I'm the purser, so I make announcements, right? Three announcements for the same thing. So by the time I reach out to you and say, hey, do you mind putting your um, seat back forward? And you get mad. And I look at them. I said, look, I didn't want to talk to you either. <laughs> Just, we don't have to have this discussion. <laughs> Just put it up. This is Up in the Air, a show about travel adventures, frequent flying, and the unique experiences we have along the way. I'm Ian Grimace, and in this episode, you'll hear from Love Pahoda about the wild passenger behavior she's witnessed on board, the best approach to dealing with unruly passengers, and what it was like to be a flight attendant during 9-11. Anyone who spends an outsized amount of time on planes will have their own set of goofy stories and quips stemming from their experiences up in the air. But none more than flight attendants. Love Pahoda has worked for United Airlines for 20 years, and when I say she's seen it all, I mean it. From bold passengers trying to sneak multiple emotional support animals into the cabin, to other crew members getting naughty in the crew rest quarters, to in-flight emergencies and run-ins with air marshals, she's had more than her fair share of bizarre experiences at 40,000 feet. Love and I had the opportunity to discuss some interesting topics that can be contentious among frequent flyers like when to use the flight attendant call button or how to deal with a passenger who refuses to wear a mask. I found her approach to in-flight unruliness to be hilarious and awesome, and I personally learned a lot from our chat that will inform my flying behavior in the future. To get the conversation going in the right direction, I wanted to start with a question that has been bugging me for a little while. What the hell is the deal with these emotional support animals? (laughs) Aren't they all emotional support animals? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing, right? You got like peacocks and ducks and all this stuff. I mean, how did this become a thing? I guess just people trying to push it, you know, it's like, come on, you know that it's not an emotional support animal. Let's keep it real. But the peacock one, mm, I think that was denied, right? I think it was denied. I I, I think it was on United, if I remember correctly. But yeah, I, I mean, I just can't imagine any anybody in their right mind allowing a peacock on an aircraft well it's america we allow anything just as long as it it's it's uh it's certified into the the wording and the definitions right (laughs) and that's what makes it great exactly (laughs) well i mean obviously there are some legitimate needs with dogs and stuff and people are nervous but you know, the dogs take up a seat, don't they? Um, so if they're an emotional support animal, they're allowed to sit on your lap, but the carrying case okay. needs to go under completely underneath the seat. And um, if they're not emotional support animals, they need to be um, in a carrier underneath the seat. Okay. If they're not an emotional support animal, i.e. just a pet, right. but if they're mm-hmm. an emotional support animal and you, and you can basically deem any dog, theoretically. Uh, an emotional support animal it seems like at least that seemed like what kind of started to cause the problem right it seemed like all of a sudden I was, every single flight I was on there were like a dog or two like large dogs just kind of chilling oh yeah like large dogs if the airline <laughs> allows it then why not you know but I think they've been a little stricter with how many they've been allowing in the cabin like one in first class and two in the main cabin I don't know things change so often that yeah, I think there is a limitation. Let's back up a little bit. So you you were a flight attendant for 20 years. You initially worked for Continental, right? I did. I am an, an ex-con, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> what was happening in your life at the time that you became a flight attendant that uh, encouraged you to, to get into it? Seems like a lot of younger people kind of do the same and, and then get burnt out. But you, you've had a long 20-year career, so... Yeah, thanks, Ian. Um, So I started out in marketing um, at a... Uh, timeshare resort. I got, I was working seven days a week, making six figures, making great money. And I just got burnt out. And I said, you know, I just want to become a flight attendant, became a flight attendant. Then I was lucky enough to have September 11th hit. (laughs) And um, hence my, and then began my first furlough in this career. And um, it allowed me to take that break, which is what I wanted, excuse me, going into the airline industry, um, flying wherever I wanted to. Uh, yeah, just just really experiencing life in my early 20s. 
then, you know, September 11th came and it, it, it opened my eyes to many things, which is why I've always had a backup plan. It, it always surrounded traveling. So that's, that's how I landed into the airline industry. Yeah. Are you married? No, I'm not. I do have an eight-year-old daughter though. So. Okay. I'm married to her. <laughs> okay. Yeah, of course. I imagine that, you know, it must be a tough balance um, with your daughter. You work for several days at a time, like out of town, and then um, you miss you miss her, obviously. So no, I've been flying for almost twenty years, um, and when I had her, so she's eight years old now. When I had her, I started um, flying less hours, and it got to the point where even last year, um, my seventh year in. Um, sorry, my seventh year with her, you know, having her, mm -hmm. um, I started working three to five turns, which is a trip that starts and originates and finishes in the same base on a day. So, oh, nice. um, yes, I would get up, work to Fort Lauderdale, usually Florida, and then be back just in time um, for her to get off the bus. So, and I was lucky enough to pick that flight and senior enough to pick that flight where I could come and, um, come home and work on my full-time job, which is being a mom. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that kind of flexibility, that kind of choice rather is definitely a luxury and a bit rare in, in flight crews, but that's awesome that you were able to do that. Which aircraft were you certified on? Okay. So at United, you have to be certified on all of them. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. And then if not, uh, I think by this year, you had to be uh, certified by on all of them. How come? Um, just for, uh, I guess, versatility, um, being able to utilize a crew without having restrictions. So why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I heard that at, at other airlines, you, you can only fly on certain trips that you're certified in. And so I don't, I just don't think that that's very productive, but you know, to each their own. Sure. Did you have a favorite to crew? Oh, yeah. Everyone loves a Dreamliner. The 7.5 was my baby for for so many years, I think maybe 15 years, because that's all I used to fly to Europe at the time. Um, and I was a in-flight service manager, which is equivalent to a purser. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's what I could hold. I lived and commuted out of Germany um, for oh, many wow. of years. Yeah. And so. So you were based there? No, I was based in Newark, but I would waste one full day of commute, but I would back trips up. As soon as I flew over to Hamburg, which is where I lived, I would um, go home instead of to my layover hotel and then fly right back and then rinse oh, wow. repeat. <laughs> yep. That's really cool. Obviously, now this has been a tough time for the airline industry yeah. and you're on a voluntary furlough now. So can you explain a little bit how that process works? Yeah. So there were three options. One, to be voluntarily furloughed. Um, you At my airline, you could pick either eight or 13 months. I didn't qualify for the eight months that went really senior. So I qualify for the 13 months after that. Um, for those who didn't qualify in the top tier, usually the top I guess, percentile of the 16,000 number that were to be furloughed. Um, let, let's fast forward and go to the bottom. Um, of, mm -hmm. I think 5,500 of the most junior flight attendants of that furlough number um, got involuntarily furloughed. And then mm -hmm. everyone in between, and they left the company, um, totally uh, separated from the company. And then for the ones in the middle, you can file for, you know, you can fly, but right now they have this thing called non-active lines where you, you, you have nothing on your line, except you can, uh, pick up a trip once in a while. And right now there aren't that many trips mm -hmm. unless you're involuntarily furloughed, then you are still with the company. You're not separated. You're still with the company. You're receiving both benefits, flight and medical benefits. Um, for me, I get to, uh, I, I can't come back before the 13 months and I get to just travel the world. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. So as a lifestyle, kind of walk me through what it's like to be a flight attendant. Oh my gosh. So, so many people live different lifestyles. Um, it's an on the go up in the air, um, lifestyle, which 
the minute you have a trip, everything, your whole life surrounds it. How you eat, how you sleep, how you drink, how you play, how you work other um, jobs. You know, many of us do have other jobs and businesses. Um, That's a beautiful thing about the flexibility of our schedules, especially as you get senior. It's a beautiful lifestyle that many, many think are you know, glamorous and very luxurious, but, but it isn't, you know, majority of us sleep in our hotel rooms on our layovers. We don't talk to people. We stare at four walls and we just love Mm -hmm. (laughs) that silence and to be able to veg out. Um, it's very demanding on our bodies, um, as well as emotionally dealing with the public and dealing with the stress of being on time and, you know, coming home, you know, to, to a family or to other obligations and all, also dealing mm-hmm. with, you know, making it surround our, our, our lives. If we have, let's say again, other obligations like health obligations with our families and whatnot. So it's very, very, very emotionally stressful, but it, it does come with wonderful benefits. Yeah. So for 20 years, you know, you got to travel around and have some of these crazy travel experiences, which is obviously awesome. And not to say that it was easy by any means, but I wonder what hardship has defined your character? There are many. The first one being um, having been furloughed, you know, having left a, a very, a great job where I was pretty successful and then, you know, transitioning to the airline industry and then boom, September 11th happened. Um, That feeling of being lost, that feeling of having your whole life like blow up in the air, Mm -hmm. you know, in front of you because of something that's out of your control. It made me become more controlling with my life and my having a backup it makes me become such a go-getter because I don't ever, ever, ever want to feel like I did back then. Um, and for yeah. those of us who have been through it, it's, it's, it's a commonality that we have. What was 9-11 like for you? I think with everybody, we, we share the same sentiment. It was mind blowing. It was just my whole future, you know, blowing up, um, having just come to the airline industry. And then within months of this happening, it was very scary. We, we, we hold that responsibility and that fear every day, just yeah. knowing that, you know, the first responders in those emergencies were the flight attendants, you know, during September yeah. on all four flights. Right. There is a very big chance, you know, when we get on that plane that we, we will not be coming home to our families. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm curious what you mean by that. Well, you know, we're, we're safety professionals. So... When we get on the plane, you know, it's not about, you know, as as airline crew, our number one priority being on the plane is for emergency. Just we're there mm-hmm. not to pour that can of Coke. You know, we do that just to pass time. But our l- levels of sensitivities are so high and alertness is so high because we are there as the responders for any medical situation as well as any um, emergency situation. And so it, 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 it carries over into our day-to-day lives. If we see an emergency, we're rushing to it, regardless of whether or not we're on the plane. It's just something that has been drilled in us for so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, again, you know, we talk about what has carried over throughout the years. What's it like to be a flight attendant? Th- there, that's another thing, just having that alertness. Um, we need to be on time. We <laughs> we miss a flight three no times we are fired so we for the most part we are on time people you can count on us you can count on our alarms um alarm setup that we have maybe five before flight <laughs> we are not <laughs> going to be late and so if we are late i was gonna ask <laughs> i was gonna ask if you'd ever missed one because i mean i just 20 years it's definitely possible absolutely absolutely i've missed um two yeah, no, maybe three, three throughout my whole 20 year um, career. So and it, it does happen. It does happen. You know, you strike me as the kind of person who wouldn't do that just from sleeping in. So was there like a funny story involved with any of those misses? 
One was in Fort Lauderdale, one was in New Jersey, and the other one was recently. So, <laughs> so in Fort Lauderdale, I remember hanging out with the whole crew and I said, you know, there should be an alarm the night before. There should be an alarm that shakes you and just vibrates. And this is before iPhones. You know, this was in two, I just started. So this was in 2001. It should shake you. It should, you know, have different ringtones. And, you know, that just the idea of that was very absurd. And now look, we have an iPhone that right. vibrates, different yeah. vibrations, <laughs> different tones, yeah. different tones, different um, exactly. you know, ringtones. And so, yes, um, I missed it. I missed the, the crew van just by a few seconds. Our pilot, my pilot, uh, um, my captain, uh, waited for me. So I actually got there at the same time that the um, crew van got there, but you know, you just can't uh, chant it. Right. Um, yeah, of course. the second one was, I just, I just didn't know I had this flight and I'd been wanting, mm. I'm very, very, very responsible when it comes to flying, but I don't work that normal, you know, every Monday, you know, every Monday shift, a month. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. No, it's okay. 20 years, you're late to work three times. I think that's excusable. No, I missed it. Late to work. Yeah. Same thing. You know, so yes. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Um, same thing. Right. The, the other one was I was looking for a flight and it wasn't on my schedule and I had already had, <laughs> had something on that, on that, uh, on my line, on my schedule and I missed it. I was like, well, you gotta be kidding me. I missed it. Okay. And then most recently I, um, they called me. I was on reserve, you know, because of, you know, COVID and everything. Scheduling called mm -hmm. me and they called me, f I think, four or five times. And I woke up the next morning, not even seeing it. I felt so refreshed. I, I, I guess I slept through their ringtones and or yeah. their calls. And and I, I even ran for a whole hour. And then I, I wanted to call somebody <laughs> and I usually go through my call log. And I said, what is this scheduling red? you know, missed calls. And I was like, oh, well, I'll be darned. I missed out on a trip. <laughs> and so, you oh, know, I geez. just laughed, you know, because at the end of the day, I wasn't hungover. I didn't miss it. My, right. my battery wasn't dead. I just, I just slept through it. So. Well, m moving on a little bit more towards your experiences on board, and you've kind of alluded to your heightened awareness of uh, potential safety hazards um, happening in the air. And I, I guess I'm curious in it over a 20 year career, if you've had any incidents you know, obviously, I guess the most extreme would be some form of crash, runway excursion, something like that. Have you ever had the masks, uh, the masks deploy? Oh, absolutely. They they fall all the time. If sometimes they fall, not that we need them, but sometimes just the you know, um, just a malfunction. They literally fall. Just yeah, just a malfunction. Um, have we ever used it? Um, usually, they cut, they pop out during a decompression. No. Never needed it. My medical situation um, that was the craziest that I can talk about, you know, because I have signed some waivers where I, some NDAs where I can't talk. Go ahead, use your imagination there. But I was mm -hmm. on initial descent, which is about 20, 30 minutes before landing. And I had three medical emergencies literally right on top of me. Um, oh my God. So <laughs> this is before landing. And remember I was the manager of this flight, you know? And so I, w I was a manager before. And so on this flight, I had to do duty-free counting, liquor, uh, money collections, uh, make sure the cabin was safe, all of this. And so this all happened. Um, I had a potential heart attack with a gentleman mm -hmm. at the window, two rows in front, literally after I got you know, the people to, cause I had to break down, I had to close down my flight. So, um, I had flight attendants tend to that. And maybe seven minutes later, I had a kid who was about to pass out because he had been bleeding and throwing up all, all flight long, which Holy happens. Smokes. And then literally right when I thought that was done, you know, some of the people from the first emergency tended to that. And, you know, it wasn't that much of an emergency where nobody was going to, you know, and so <laughs> yeah, nobody dies on the airplane, just letting you know ever. <laughs> um, and I'll tell you the reason behind that. And then literally my last emergency was I finally got into the galley doing my paperwork. Right. And this lady comes to me and she just felt woozy and she literally passed out in my arms. So it's like, oh, within maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> what a flight. Yeah. <laughs> so Lisbon to Newark. Never forget. Wow. That's crazy. You must know the name Tom Stuker 
being having been a United flight attendant. Yes, yes. So I I talked to him. He he said he's been on several flights where people had died. So I was just curious if you could clarify what you meant by people never die on board. The only people that can say that somebody is officially dead and deceased are medical professionals with medical licenses. While we mm, are medical okay. professions in the air, we do not have medical licenses. And so we cannot profess that somebody has passed away until all. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder why that is. I mean, I guess, I guess that's just, a, that's just how it works. You have to be a medical professional in order to proclaim someone is dead. So we treat any passenger with a medical emergency as alive. Um, and we have to, right, to, until the, the, the professionals come on board, you know, um, the, the tax, emergency tax. Yeah. And then they decide with their equipment because that's what they do, you know, full time for a living every day. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you ever bump into uh, any air marshals? Bump into? <laughs> um, what do you mean by bump, bump into? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean that a bit facetiously. Yeah, we have them. Um, we have them a lot. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're around, um, but it's kind of my understanding that only the pilot in command is aware of who they are or if there is even one on board. So I guess I'm curious what your experience with air marshals has been, if any. No, besides them uh, trying to flirt with me and get my number. <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, um, they, yeah, we, we, of course we have to know where they are because, um, they're armed, you know? And so we have to know where the armed individuals are on the plane. So you do know, uh, who they are. I guess I, I, I had been under the impression that only the pilot in command knew no. uh, who the air marshal was. So there's about four groups, the flight attendant group, the pilots of that flight, obviously, um, the gate agents and as well as I guess the people of, in, in operations. Oh, super interesting. Yeah. So air marshals are pretty common. um, And this is a podcast about flight attendants, but I'm just curious what your experiences with them have been. Have they ever, have you ever been on flights where they've had to do anything other than sit there? They're not sitting there. Um, To their defense, they are there to protect the plane. They are there to protect um, the air, the actual aircraft and the aircraft uh, flight deck door. They're just laser focused on that. They are extremely focused and in ways that you wouldn't even know. <laughs> Care to elaborate on that? I can't <laughs> for security purposes there. Um, ah. I mean, that they, we just can't have another September 11th happen. Um, and it's to the point where, you know, if there are other emergency situations happening, they're forced not, you know, to attend to them or attend to those. And that's what we're there for, you know, because we're trained every year for that. Yeah. Switching gears in a big, big way. You ever deal with people trying to join the Mile High Club? Always. <laughs> let's do a le- let's do a left turn of absolutely gigantic proportions. Yeah, always. Um, so the last one I had was with I was going to Italy. So kind of a couple of years ago. That I of visually, course, Italy. It would be Italy. That I visually saw it was. It, it happened with two, um, a couple that were actually in their seats and, um, they had, yeah, it was, it was a night flight. They had a blanket and, you know, I just, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that happened. And I thought I saw it, but I didn't want to assume and they weren't doing anything. Uh, yeah, they weren't like posing a risk. Yeah. So I just, you know, I kind of left them alone. That's, that's, uh, kind of how (laughs) we look at it. You know, we're not there to marshal people, doing the right course, thing. We're just course. there to protect the, you know, other passengers as well as, you know, the aircraft and whatnot. Do you think that's more or less common than the general public perceives it to be? Joining the Mile High Club? Well, I guess I would say uh, making an attempt. So I wouldn't know about making an attempt, but as far as people joining the Mile High Club, yeah, it is less. Sorry, let me, re- let me rephrase. I, I mean, <laughs> do you think based on your experience, either running into people who are being a bit nefarious or what, do you think that it's more common or less common than the general public perceives oh, it to be? Oh, it's less common for sure. Mm. It's less common. I guess common. that doesn't really surprise me. 
Yeah, I mean, it's dirty and, you know, it's just like there's not much space, you know, to do that. I think that that term reflects previous generations where we didn't have as many people. We had bigger, um, uh, bigger spaces, um, spaces, bigger bathrooms, less flight attendants, you know, uh, walking Mm -hmm. around and we weren't so security, you know, um, aware. So, yeah. I'm not nece- I'm not necessarily alluding to anything specific, but I'm curious if you ever see anything happen, anything funny happen in those in the crew rests. So I heard they do and I heard they do all the time. I just <laughs> and I uh-huh. it's it's amazing. But um, no names were said, of course, but I that's disgusting. It's so dirty up there. I mean, it's just dirty, you know. <laughs> oh, Yeah. So to answer your question, yes. Like I said, it wasn't necessarily alluding to anything specific. So uh, it sounds like crew aren't precluded from trying to join the Mount High Club right. up there. That wasn't necessarily what I was alluding, alluding to. But <laughs> I've heard a lot of people, uh, although I'm not surprised, um, people are people. I've heard that sometimes you'll get like the passenger who's like, oh, I'm sick. And uh, if only there was a place I could lay down. Could I go in the crew rest? Like that kind of thing. Do you get that often? Often. Very, very, very often. Yeah. I mean. Uh, What are you supposed to do about that? Listen, the answer is no. (laughs) Those are (laughs) stations for, you know, reserved for flight attendants or pilots, you know, because they have their own. They have their own room. But um, yeah. All right, people. You heard it on the Up in the Air podcast. (laughs) It's a no. (laughs) It's a no. You have some people even, you know, trying to get in there. And, you know, we have our own, we have keys, specific keys that, that give us access to those rooms. But yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a no, guys. That's a definitely no. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever you'd get passengers and I I know like VIP passengers and I, I saw some photos, like you've crewed some flights with Common and yeah, I would imagine whenever Tom Stuker would fly, if you'd ever fly with him, you'd probably be told, and I guess that's my question, to what degree do they let you know, hey, there's going to be some sort of VIP on board? They they have to, um, just so we can give the hello, you know, the the, the appropriate greeting, especially with somebody yeah. like Tom. You know, um, I've never flown on his flight, but if I was as a passenger or not, I'd be right next to him asking a whole bunch of questions, <laughs> questions like these, uh-huh. you know, cause I'm sure he's had more experiences than I have. Um, but yeah, 25 no, they, million they let miles. us know, you know, they let us know in advance, um, that we have, we do have a VIP, whether it's, you know, an executive of our, uh, of the company or a million miler or our elite status. So we do know. I'm curious. What about influencers? I mean, like just literally somebody who has a large following on Instagram, to what degree are the people like that tracked, if at all? As crew, we wouldn't know about them unless they have specifically asked for um, special treatment. Privileges. Yeah. yeah. What about um, people who like, for example, the points guy, like I told I when I talked to him, I was like, you know, you obviously have a lot of notoriety in this space now and, and you get recognized a lot. And but airlines must know when you're flying. So can you speak to that? Well, not necessarily because sometimes they, not sometimes, majority of the time, uh, people fly with uh, aliases, surprisingly. Mm. Yeah, a lot of them fly by their middle names. So it doesn't really just stand out. What's one of the weirdest things you've seen someone try to bring on board? I've seen um, this photo. Man, it's been circulating on the internet for so long now. But it's basically like a, a person, it's like a sock for your head that goes around your laptop and it's like kind of it's kind of become a meme but it's like a privacy partition thing it's not even really for sleeping but it's literally just for like looking at your laptop in darkness and privacy oh interesting and there's oh interesting i guess i guess you've never seen it <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> i guess you've never even seen the, the photo online no but- no that's funny i guess i figure you would have bumped into just some very bizarre things i mean Obviously, some something must stand out. Like, wow, what is that? That's the craziest neck pillow I've ever seen. Oh, if that's the case, yeah. People with, trying in to inflate to food crazy things, or you know, those big boxes, you know. But I've seen them in magazines. 
that you blow up and then you just lean on, but they, you know, I have to be the jerk, you know, <laughs> if I clean yeah. my words to say, you know, you can't use that for security purposes, you know, because it's blocking the aisle or whatnot. So what's like the most common thing that people would get kicked off of a flight for? Oh, just belligerence and, and ignorance causing a ruckus, you know, in the cabin, which will uh, inflate to a riot. Um, now you have to wear your mask. You have to wear your yeah. mask. There's been a huge, I guess, there's a huge problem. Um, I've, I've read online where a lot of people just don't wear their mask. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought this up. I really want to talk to you about this yeah. because like this is the new thing. Mm -hmm. So first I want to ask you what it was like to have to work within these new parameters and like you have to deal with safety on board. But it's not really your job, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, to like go around every second of the flight being like, pull the mask up over your nose, pull the mask up over your nose, put your mask on. Like you have better things to be doing. Right. So how was that policy rolled out? And of course, you can only speak about United. Right. Because that was where you worked. Right. But how was that policy rolled out? And, and what were the expectations of cabin crew uh, for how you should be enforcing that? The way I was taught was that we are not there to en enforce anything but we're there to inform regardless of what situation mm -hmm. is. But as far as that, that definitely has to be enforced. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's not for us. It's, it's for the wellness of the actual, the whole plane. We just, I mean, all we do is just remind people and just mention people. I've never had an, an incident where uh, people didn't, but also at the same time, there are tricks where um, the people are using, whether it's, just eating their sandwich very, very, very slow, slowly Yeah. <laughs> for an hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, I want to just share some of my personal experiences now because I've yeah. flown quite a bit during the pandemic as well. Okay. And I've had several issues. And I think that the problem with the mask policy, and you mentioned one of them is there's so many loopholes, like mm -hmm. you can just pretend to be eating a sandwich for two hours. And every time crew walk down the aisle, you, you know, lift a drink up to your face or take a bite of something. Right. And, you know, what are you going to do? It's like the person appears to be eating. But part of my problem with the current policy is it really puts the onus on the passenger to enforce it. And it's this really awkward. It puts you in a really awkward situation because nobody is more likely to negatively be negatively affected from by the situation other than you. And if you throw your neighbor who's not wearing a mask, which is exactly what happened to me, under the bus, particularly in a very public way, after I'd asked this gentleman to put his mask on several times, well, now I'm stuck sitting next to this guy for the right. next several hours and they're not going to divert the plane for this. So it's like a really tough situation for passengers. And I mean, I don't know, like I, I could have, you know, rung the flight attendant call button and perhaps tried to embarrass this guy. But like I said, then I'm sitting next to him for hours on end. Like, sorry. No, you know what? There, there's certain protocol in regards to dealing with any situation, regardless if it's mask or, you know, their their laptop being too loud or having obscenities. And we have a kid next to us. Um, just talk to the, you know, go to the back and talk to the flight attendant, you know, discreetly and have the flight attendant deal with it, you know. Um, Okay. A lot of flight attendants would not like that I said that, but I, I've, I guess I've been, you know, in this industry for such a long time that I know how to deal with, um, oh, Paris events just like this, where I deal with it with positivity, like, hey, you know what? There have been concerns. You know, I'm going to ask you to, you know, put your mask up. You know, like, or or I joke around. You know, depending on who it is. Okay. Yeah. How many times did we say, <laughs> how many yeah, announcements, right. everybody around me, show of hands. Did I say it two All times? Right. Did I say it three times? Did I say it four times? All right, buddy, this is your <laughs> fifth time. Work with us, you know, <laughs> and it makes everyone laugh. Love and, that. you know, it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. You know, sometimes they just need a reminder. Sometimes it fell off their face and they got used to it, used to it being off their face, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just a way of dealing with things. <laughs> I can say confidently that in the particular example I was referring to, that the guy was purposefully removing the mask from his face. And this was several times after I'd asked him to put it on. Yeah. And and it was one of those neck gator things, which oh based on what I've read, seems to be fairly useless, if not even perhaps more right. harmful. It's just a tough, it's a tough situation. I'm not trying to it is. Um, minimize that. It's tough for crew. It's tough for passengers. Um, absolutely across the board tough, but... 
Ah, boy, it is a tricky one. And I do think particularly for the airlines that aren't blocking middle seats, even though I don't necessarily think that's a much more super effective way Mm -hmm. of potentially prohibiting the spread of COVID. I don't know that that uh, has a huge impact. I do think if you're an airline that's saying, okay, we're selling every seat, you also need to be extremely diligent about enforcing that mask policy. Um, Well, we can only do so much except for taking our two hands and holding the mask up to somebody's face, right? Right, yeah. What you have to understand is that, so we did a, uh, on United, they did a test um, where they had a robot go through um, a flight and they they had a, I guess, a simulated um, event where the robot was spinning, it was coughing out particles and they showed that the particles now also with the clean filtration systems that they have, yep. um, it really, really, really didn't affect the whole flight. Yeah. The filters were doing an effective job at kind of cleaning that out in a yeah, fast and efficient manner. Yeah, not just that because majority of the people do have masks on and, you know, they're, yes, they are providing hand sanitizer wipes. So it's not spreading as much, but as far as the, you know, the particles being, because essentially that's how it's, that's how people are catching it, right? Not, not necessarily right. yeah. touching everything. Because a lot of people just don't touch their noses or mouths, right? But they're still getting sick. Right, especially with a mask right. on. Right. And so you with with that, the um, they're able to, I don't know the exact uh, scientific words, but they're able to measure how far these particles are being blown. And it's actually because of the filtration not system. Far. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, safer. Just to play devil's advocate, a little bit from what I saw and one of the big criticisms of that study was that it was done on a wide body aircraft and that it was not immediately clear how the results would translate to a narrow body aircraft like a 737 or an A320 that, you know, flies majority of the domestic routes in the U.S. Oh, that's interesting. I will say I've flown a ton and I believe in the filters, but I'm just just playing devil's no, no, advocate. No, no, absolutely. And we all have to, right? But at the end of the day, everyone should just wear their mask and be that devil. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just shut the hell up just, and wear the mask. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't know. Honestly, I just I like that study. Um, for me, I already had COVID months ago, so oh, wow. I'm wearing the mask for show for everyone. You know, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I read that you got swine flu uh, when you were cabin crew during that disease as well. Yes, I did. Wow. Great, great research. I had swine flu from a small, I think it was an ERJ. And while you were working as crew, no, no, no. I was pass riding from New Orleans. So I could have got it from New Orleans, but I've, I feel like I caught it immediately from that plane. I hadn't seen anybody throughout the, the day. Then when I flew, it was a smaller aircraft that wasn't full. And, you know, this was just back in the day. So um, I got home. I, I had a fever of, I think, 102, 103 for like hours. I mean, talk about wow. sweat, you know? Yeah. Well, obviously, like the swine flu never got to the point that coronavirus has in terms of one, its proliferation, but also two, just public awareness and mask wearing was never as diligent. So right. I'm not surprised that that did happen. I'm glad you were turned out to be okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It, uh, it was real because at, even at the time, people didn't believe in the swine flu. Um, it, I th- mm. If I'm correct, it is because of the swine flu that airlines took off blankets and pillows. On domestic flights? And I think on all flights. And then when they brought it back on, it was under the having different measures for, you know, the, the cleanliness of these materials and amenities on the aircraft. Are there things that people do regularly that they real that they don't realize is, is either being potentially unsafe or just a nuisance to the crew? Uh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Showing up for the flight. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you say? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, now that you're uh, you're on a break, you can you can let it go. I huh? can let it go. <laughs> but I do want a job to come back to. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But um, no, just, I think more, more than anything, you know, we ask our passengers to, you know, as flight crew, um, we ask our passengers to just, just adhere to the policies and procedures. 
with every with every rule that's implemented um, now, it's because somebody has died from it. Literally, a lot of times, mm-hmm. even from a, a simple placard, just follow it because more than likely, a very big bad emergency has happened because of it. And, um, you know, we're not there to, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, they get mad at me when I tell them, even though I've made, I'm the, you know, usually I'm the purser, so I make announcements, right? Three announcements for the same Mm. thing. So by the time I reach out to you and say, Hey, do you mind putting your um, seat back forward? And you get mad. And I look at them. I said, look, I didn't want to talk to you either. <laughs> just, we don't have to do this discussion. <laughs> just put it up. I made three announcements, you know, and, you know, I, I look at it in a joking way, you know, because um, it's meant That's for great. our passengers to come back, you know, like I'm just doing my job. I'm not here. I don't have, you know, I don't have that mentality where you're on my plane, even though you're in my home, yeah. you're on, you're on my plane. Uh, you have to do these things. No, that's, that's not, that's not very customer friendly either, you know? And, and sure, I get that sure. some people do have bad days, you know, and, but that's yeah. where we need to distinctly say, Hey, listen, let's just remember, you know, let's never forget we're in the customer service um, industry. We are allowing yeah. them to, fly with us in the friendly skies. Yeah. So real quickly before I kind of jump onto some different kind of, kind of questions, but uh, is it true that when you're kind of waiting for, let's say a flight's delayed and you're waiting in the airport that you're not getting paid for that time? We are not getting paid even during boarding. <laughs> when you, right. So it's just when the doors are closed. When the, no, when the doors close and when we push back, when the brakes. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we can be doing the, the, um, the demo safety demonstration and still not be getting paid. I mean, normally you, you are, but by that time, well, that's good for people to know because, and I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast, you bastards, you better, at least, uh, you don't give cabin crew a hard time for those delays as it is absolutely not in their control. You're right. Uh, and especially so, cause they're not getting paid during that time either. So right. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, definitely important for people to understand that. If I would say anything, just understand that we're actually, that's what's so hurtful about all of, you know, the, the negative interactions is that we're actually here for you. Like if you have a heart Mm. attack, we're here to revive you. If you, if there's an emergency, we're here to, you know, help your child or help, you know, uh, you put the fire out that's in front of you from your electronic device. We are here for you. I mean, I cannot say that enough. Like we're here for you. And so the attitude, just skip it just for today on my flight. (laughs) What do you, how do you feel about people using the flight attendant call button? Let's say, let's like give two different examples, Mm -hmm. particularly in business class. I'll, I'll say myself, I find I'll use it, you know, when I have like a service question or I'm like, Hey, can I get a refill on something in economy? I do find that I don't do that as often, but I'm curious what your thoughts are about that feature of an aircraft and how you would like passengers to use it. Um, okay. So as a flight attendant, I know that majority of the time when the call bell light is on, it's usually not the person in the um, aisle. More than likely, it's not the person in the middle seat. It's usually the person at the window who can't get out. And so I always, you know, mm. approach it, you know, with, and also there's a, there's a 50, 50% chance it might be an emergency, you know? So I approach it with, um, with care, you know, and concern. The hassling part of, of the idea of the flight attendant call button being pushed comes from the people who are saying, you know, let me push the call bell button. Can you grab me some tissue? All right. Now, now, now you're doing too much. Like, (laughs) you know, that's absurd. We're not, you know, I will give it, you know, because that's just who I am, but that's, um, you're taking advantage of that call button, which is there for, different needs, immediate needs, should I say. So you would, you would definitely urge passengers not to use it unless they have some sort of immediate need. Right. And I would use the word immediate, like immediate. Like if you, if you, um, if, if I served you your food and then I, I'm now serving food on the other aisle, go ahead for me, push that button. So I know that, you know, I forgot to give you your utensils, you know, and some people, Mm, some passengers are just so nice that they'll, they'd rather wait. But then your food gets yeah. cold. And I I probably sit in the passenger seat on aircrafts more than I fly, you know. And so definitely, yeah, definitely over the course of 20 years. So 
I've been there, you know, and maybe that's what's different between me and other flight attendants is I actually do fly a lot. I know what it feels like to be in those seats mm, and to yeah, need something and to, to want that friendliness. So, um, or, or, or that humor to break up my harsh day, you know, so I get it. Speaking of flying a lot. So what are some of your, your tips that you live by travel tips? If you can't carry it, don't pack it. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Also, if you don't need it, don't pack it. I think people excessively pack. I say always bring your own food, especially me as a mom now. Bring your own food, snacks. Um, it doesn't have to be a five-course meal, but maybe even a protein bar that way, just in case we, in emergency. Emergency may not be a medical or safety emergency, but maybe, you know, we might have not have the key to to unlock the carts or, you know, to get out to you in time or, or, you know, when we get in the air, there might be turbulence and by then you might be hungry. And I know this also because I'm a passenger, you know, have that, yeah. you know, have some snacks or food, but don't getting it from the, just know that getting it from the air crew is not guaranteed because if there is one, an emergency or two turbulence, we're not coming out. You know, we can't, That's true. we can't get, not that we're not coming out, but we can't get to you as, as, as we normally would safely. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. That's, that's actually a really, um, that's a great advice. What brand carry on do you use just out of curiosity? I'm always curious what people use who fly are all the time. So I use to me, I've used to me for many years. Um, just because, um, they are swaggy. It's just, it's a good brand. It's got a great warranty. Um, I'm just kidding. I have a to me as well. <laughs> just giving you a hard time. No, but they have different, you know, styles. So yeah, I, I love my hard shell bag. I know the FAA limits pilot flight hours. Is it the same for flight attendants? N- not the same number of hours, but do they when also When I came with limit? United, I'm sorry, with, when I came, flew with Continental, we, we didn't have it. And I think, I don't know if there were restrictions now because I only fly three or four days a month. <laughs> so I don't, oh, sure. I don't focus yeah, yeah. on that, but um, that is a good contractual question that do you track how much you fly either from a mileage basis or days um particularly like before the pandemic um no because i i as a passenger or as a flight attendant or in general in general i've lost track obviously i assume most of the time when you're flying as a passenger you're either repositioning to join as a crew or traveling for pleasure but you're doing so at you know kind of using the benefit of uh, being an airline employee, Absolutely. which allows you to do that mm-hmm. and fly, uh, you know, non-rev and all that stuff. But do you try to earn miles and points from your, from your personal travel and spending? Is that something that you focus on at all? No, just because I have these benefits that, um, you know, it's just, it exceeds more than, you know, joining these. No, I do have the point accumulation, you know, in, in my I usually just buy on United. Um, I have purchased on other airline tickets on other airlines, but on United, I have such a small mileage balance, so it really, really doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, you obviously have the amazing perk of just being able to fly for free, so yeah. I don't blame you for not di- uh, diving into that world. I, I talked to a pilot who had the same, uh, I wouldn't say concern, but issue rather. It's just not really worth the time when you have that perk. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand that when we, um, especially somebody like me, there are lots of aviation personnel that don't get on flights, just letting you know that. So people need to understand that, you know, people think that just because we have free miles that you're able to uh, just get in the air. But um, for me, I literally can say, you know what, today I want some, I want Maine Lobster. So I'm going to look up a flight and literally book my ticket within hours. But you're obviously not guaranteed. Is that what you're saying? You're not guaranteed. The it seats. is when you look at the flights, if they're 40 seats, 20 seats, 30 seats, even seven day of more than likely yeah. I will cut. I will um, be successful in getting a seat on that flight. What are you most excited to do now that you're not flying as much? I so, you know, I'm also an influencer. Um, come fly with love right on Instagram. And um, I got into that because I love taking pictures. And then I also love sharing information. And you know, all of that collided with digital marketing, digital media. And so just learning the, you know, how to monetize on social media, just learning how to, you know, just not necessarily use my benefits, but just um, 
broaden my horizon in the travel arena. I've been able mm-hmm. to uh, understand how digital marketing works. What I did was I opened my business. It's called Evokery. And I, as I told you in the beginning, I come from a marketing background. So mm-hmm. I'm able to utilize that background and what I do and just consult and advise people um, on social media and digital marketing. So that nice. is what I'm doing for the next 13 months. But I am still traveling. You know, the, the beautiful thing about digital marketing is you can you can work anywhere and just literally yeah. just as long as you have a computer or not even a, a phone. Right. And so, yeah. yeah, I totally skipped over this. So it's a, it's a segment that I like to call explain that gram where I go back through your Instagram. I pick a, I pick a photo that I assume has a really interesting story behind it and just ask you to kind of tell the story. So the photo that I picked was a photo of you standing on board, uh, a plane you're, you're sitting next to somebody and you're being kind of interviewed on camera. It's from January 17th of this year. So I'm, I'm just curious what was going on there. With this one, I was honored to do this event with my friend aviator dave but um yeah so we were being interviewed by i think fox it was being filmed during i want to say father's day of last year yeah it's just what does the aviation industry mean to you that was being filmed at the it was being recorded at the national aviation museum here in dc right outside of dc by dallas when you think back on all the places you've been through uh a 20 year career and beyond, of course, and you know, the people you've met experiences you've had, what impact has travel had on you and, and what impact do you believe it has on the world? It's such a necessity to travel. What it does is it opens your, your mind. It opens your heart. Um, culture just teaches you in a way that you can't learn in school or through conversation or through reading a book. You have to witness it. You have to be there. I am a big promoter of that. Hence why I teach my daughter in the same way. Um, and why I raise her the same way, you know? Um, and so, you know, to answer your question, travel is really, really, really essential. Um, before when we didn't have Expedia or booking.com or all, all these, you know, last minute, um, platforms where you can book tickets, flights, cars, anything in the travel industry. It was harder, but now that it is so open, you know, with with airline apps and weather apps and, you know, just last minute fares, I would promote everyone to travel um, and just understand that even during COVID times, while the world finesses, you know, in a with safety protocols, it's still so, 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 so important to continue to travel because when we don't travel, our minds close, our hearts close and inhibits who we really are as people. That's Love Fahoda. You can find her on Instagram at come fly with love. And if you're ever on one of her flights, just listen to the damn announcements. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything from it, it would be supremely awesome if you'd share it with someone who might find it interesting or rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps other people find these episodes. And as always, feel free to reach out on social with any questions or comments. Once again, I'm your host, Ian Agrimis, wishing you smooth travels. Peace.